Okay, okay. Okay, there we go. So, this is the first episode of Entropy to Work, my new podcast. My name is Jack Weber, and I am your host here. So, um, let's see how this is going to work. Yeah, this is the first episode. I'm super excited. Uh, we try to have episodes every Tuesday on Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and others, and also in my own website, luxusenge.com. I will have it in the description. So, first of all, I'm sorry if this sounds very a muter, and that's because that's exactly what it is. You know, I'm not a professional at this. I'm not fully sure what I'm doing. Uh, the song might change, the platforms might change, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to try this. And I, yeah, as I said in the introduction, I'm just a very passionate engineer, and I want to talk with other engineers and no engineers about technology, what is going on in the world, how we're gonna solve new problems and old problems and things like that. So yeah, there is a quote that I originally thought was from René Descartes, but apparently it's not, I could not find it, but it's something like, I'm not embarrassed of changing opinion because I'm not embarrassed of thinking. So this is basically what it is. I'm, um, don't quote me, oh, I mean, you might quote me on whatever I talk in here, but I might change my opinion. I might say something and in one or two episodes from now and say, hey, remember when I said that? Uh, that was pretty silly from me. I didn't know the full picture and um, I'm changing what I said. And that might happen and I hope it happens because I'm looking forward to learning and when you're learning, you change your mind, okay? So yeah, that's the housekeeping for today. And uh, in today's episode, I speak with Mr. Frank DiBella, where we talk about energy industry and Frank's definition for it, what happened in Texas related to the abnormal code and surge in energy, energy consumption, and then that ended up leading to power outages and etc. So I also talk some of Frank thoughts about what we should focus in the future and some of our opinions on how to spread the word about what is sustainability and what is the energy sector and etc. So Frank DiBella has worked on a variety of energy related projects both for private companies and DOE projects. Such projects range from development of steam, atmosphere and industrial dryers to mechanical vapor recompression systems and organic ranking cycle waste heat recovery systems. Woo, that's a long one. In 2000, Frank left the industry to teach full-time at the Northeastern University Engineering Technology Department, receiving university-wide teaching award in 2002 and becoming the director of ET in 2005. Frank then joined Concepts and REC in 2008, in 2008 sorry, where he stayed until he retired a couple years ago, working on the development of energy-related systems, ranging from water wave energy systems to critical CO2, power generation and CO2 sequestration to a variety of waste heat recovery systems. Frank continues to teach and he's currently a senior adjunct instructor at Boston University. As you guys will hear, it's always a pleasure to talk to Frank. He is super down to earth, very smart guy, super fun guy, very creative. And uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to him. I feel in our talk, we barely scratched the surface. There is so many other topics that I would like to speak to Frank and get his thoughts on this and get his experience in other projects that he worked on. But uh, that's where we stand today. And I guess this was a 
our first episode and I was really excited and I'm very happy with the result. So this is it. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, now I bring you Frank DiBella. Okay, so I don't know where to even start. So here I am with Frank DiBella. Thanks for being here, Frank. <laughs> well, good, good afternoon for me. It's good afternoon in Boston. And for you, it's good evening. Yeah, it's, uh, it's already 8 p.m. here. And somewhere mm. in the world, it's it's morning. Some yeah. It, so. It's almost time for I have a beer here, but I haven't arrived. Pretty good. <laughs> That's not so, disallowed any longer, right? You have to have it in your own home, though. You can't you can't go to a bar. Yes, bar it's all home. it's all shut down here. And yeah, uh, yeah I moved to, to the UK. It is too was not able to do to see pretty much anything yet. I'm also working from, and, from home. So, and I know you're inventive, and I like to think I am. So, if you can invent a mask that you can use to sip through beer with, you you'd be in business. I thought about something. It, <laughs> yeah, we we talk about it offline though. <laughs> very good, very good. Yeah, we don't want to give anything away. You know. Yeah, exactly. Not enough millionaires in the company in the world. <laughs> so. First things first, uh, biography from Mr. Frank DiBella is pretty long. I don't even know where to start, but at least the oh, very least, there is at least 25 years of professional work. Frank is also a senior lecturer, is that correct? A Boston University? A senior adjunct instructor, the way they say it. There we go. Senior is adjunct. that? So part time, I, I teach there. I used to teach there in the evenings when I worked with um, Concepts, where, whoops, there's a name, worked work with the company that you and I worked for, and uh, <laughs> did that for almost 20 years, working evenings, and then now that I'm semi-retired, I can do more daytime teaching, which is always That's very awesome. Good. And, uh, yeah, dude, so I, I believe at this point you teach because you like it, right? Oh, absolutely. No, no question. Absolutely. I, I don't actually know how much I get paid. With <laughs> and, uh, and every once in a while, I have to check with them to see if they actually are depositing something. If you teach with some young people, it, I think it keeps you young. I tell you, I think it keeps you young. That's why you see a lot of professors, full-time professors, tenured professors, mm -hmm. who are in their 70s and 80s, and they're still teaching, and they still love it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the research can get tricky you know you, you search and keeping up with what's going on and, and writing award-winning research award-winning papers that gets tough mm -hmm. but meeting students every day keeps you young yeah can I, would tell. Recommend can it. Tell. I, I would recommend it and as i've told many of my students um if you're trying to climb the the Ab abraham maslow hierarchy pyramid of hierarchy mm -hmm. hierarchical leads um the very top is i think mentoring and and i think engineering is an old profession that is based on mentoring and i think that's that's only natural for us you and me you are you're not old enough yet but i'm old <laughs> enough to start hopefully teaching some people the things i've done wrong and the things that hopefully i've done right so that's absolutely right and i mean it's uh i'm i'm not sure people who are listening to this already know you but it's been always a pleasure because even when having like the normal conversations, 
you always have that tone that sounds like a professional. It doesn't matter. You can be talking about a beer, and it almost sounds like you're doing a lecture about the beer. <laughs> but you know, I I gotta say though, I do not have a tattoo of the second law of thermodynamics tattooed to me as you do. So <laughs> yeah. you got that ahead of me. And I don't think my wife is gonna go for it yet now. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always know it's a a hardcore thermodynamicist when I tell about the tattoo. They're either amazed. Or they're like, what have you done? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I tell you, second law for thermodynamics, engineering, uh, energy engineering runs the world. Hence the, I think the appropriateness of your podcast here. Thank you. Thank There's you very so much. So many things you can talk about with regards to energy. So lifeblood of almost every industry. And that's one thing that I guess you, you, we already talked about this. Just for some reason. Sounds like a lot of people have strong opinions, like artists and politicians and doctors, but the people actually making the technologies, engineers, very seldom you see an engineer giving an opinion, like an honest opinion, like, hey, I might be wrong, but this is what I think about this, and I'm just going to say it because I think I have some background that I can talk about this. It's very seldom to see that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we come in a time when I was growing up, we were talking in the 60s. So in, in the United States was Vietnam War and you were marching. I still have uh, reminiscences of going on strike and not learning linear algebra during my college mm -hmm. years because that particular day or week we were protesting. I don't think I ever really <laughs> protested that way, but we didn't go to class. Anyway, so, <laughs> so you, you tend to have, even then, the environment issues with associated with energy or the energy industry everything that involves energy somehow sometimes gets a black mark a black mark in mm -hmm. the sense that um, you think pollution at least some people do some people think pollution some people think um maybe over over overthrowing governments to get the oil fields to be pumping you know all and, and you're right engineers i think stay out of the politics as much as you can mm -hmm. but the reality is i mean i was looking at it kind of preparing for today's thing and I was thinking as I got my cup of coffee from the local, I won't name the, the store, <laughs> you know, get a cup of espresso for um, $2.50, $2.75. I don't get espresso, I get the regular coffee. $2.50 cents roughly in Boston for eight, 12 ounces. Mm -hmm. The equivalent cost of gasoline per gallon would be something in the neighborhood of $40, $45 a cup. If, mm -hmm. if, you know, a gallon. If if you were if you were to make the analogy between the cost of brewing a cup of coffee and the cost of you know taking um, oil out of the ground, uh, conditioning it, you know, processing it, sending it to where it needs to be used, and then using it, and yet people are headstrong about, oh, the energy industry is terrible. They better be put on. Uh, they got to be put on watch and, and so forth and so on. And, and that's there's, good and about, there's, good, there's good and bad about everything. And, and I always like to look, and I think you're the same way. I think most people are. I think most engineers are. They tend to look at the better things, the, the, the good things about things. At least I think I like to try. And um, if it wasn't for the energy that's being produced from the oil in the ground, I understand, um, we'd be in tough shape. Yeah, tough absolutely. Shape. That's, that's one thing that I don't get. I mean... Uh... Some, at some point, I was talking to someone. They said, "Why do I hate the little girl there, uh, 
Greta Thunberg so much. I was like, I don't hate her. I think she has the appropriate opinion for a 13 year old, years yeah, old. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. What I don't yeah. get it is that she's too young to understand that, like, that's what we had. You know what I mean? Like, a hundred yeah. years ago, yeah. if we were not burning coal and oil, we would be freezing. So, how quickly do we owe? to fix this problem. Like, I mean, we are at this, at this stage exactly because we had these solutions. Hey, maybe they're not the best solutions, but that's, that's what we did at the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're right. I mean, you, you have to admire her passion. But at the same time, um, I mean, I remember when I was 13, I didn't have the passion for stuff like this. <clears throat> well, maybe for the space program, because that's when it was going on in the 60s. Oh, yeah. But, but um, you have to admire her passion, but at the same time, I'd like to have seen or be able to someone have be able to say, let's listen to the other side of the story. There's no question, absolutely no question in my mind, and I think in most engineers' minds, the renewable energy has some part to play in the whole energy industry. Absolutely. And, absolutely. And I can't imagine an engineer saying, Well, screw the environment. We need we have needs now and the environment won't be cleaned up for 50, 60, 100 years. Let's not worry about it now. I don't think anybody is saying that. What I'm, what I think you need to do is be kind of more central. You know, you can be on the bell curve of things, the extremes. There's a right extreme, there's a left extreme. You got to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you got to look at the yeah. good things and then try to fix the bad things. Mm -hmm. Renewable energy could fix some of the very bad things. Yeah. But it has a part to play. But I don't think it's ever going to be the whole machine. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be the whole system, the entire system. I same like I maybe one day but like I don't I, and maybe I'm just being too pessimistic but I cannot see that in the last the next like 100 years honestly yeah, yeah well I, th I think you're right I mean when I say okay so now we got to be careful you will never you can't ever say never yeah you know what if we find out fusion yeah. right I'll if say, we find out fusion that's, say, that's, that'll be fine in our lifetimes okay but in 500 years from now a thousand years from now um maybe there will be a evolution of uh, discovery of some enormously powerful and somewhat infinite um, energy source. When mm -hmm. I was growing up, again, going back to when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, you would see people who were at these shopping centers handing out pa pamphlets. And those pamphlets would say, if the government could spend X amounts of dollars, then fusion would be developed in 20 years. <laughs> I got to tell you, that's 45 or 50 years ago. <laughs> the only fusion that I see going on right now <laughs> is one where the sun is, is it's almost 3.30 here. The sun is um, is, is ready to come uh, you know, down, sunset. <laughs> that's the only fusion that's going on. But yeah. in 500 years, maybe. Yeah, and I think that would be awesome. But it's just like, hey, it's not that easy. <laughs> not there, not there yet. So Great. So. Yeah, we already started with the right foot. This is awesome. That's why I love talking to you. So the first question that I prepared, I guess the tricky one, how do you actually define the energy industry? Because yeah, there is so cool. much going on and there is transportation and everything, but how you yourself who works a lot in the energy industry over the years, how do you define? Well, I, I, I think it comes down, it's a, it's a broad umbrella, it's a big umbrella. And and you and I are energy sources for Pete's sake. I mean, that's we true. Could be, we could be put nice huts and igloos, and we become our own energy as long as we got our ham sandwiches coming in and 
and pasta <laughs> and, uh, and everything else, you know, uh, we would become our own energy sources. But energy industry, I guess I'll just go back to the old reliable. It's the oil companies, it's the coal companies, it's the gas companies, it's, it's anything and everybody who's involved with energy, I think, producing it or using it. So in a very real sense, you hear the word industry, and I guess the normal person, including myself, would think of the producers. But at the same time, I think that word industry should also include um, the users. You and I are both users of it. Yeah. So the first time when anybody talks about energy industry, and I bring back the idea of a user, and they start saying about um, what do we do in the future? The first thing I think of is conservation. Energy conservation is the thing that we can all, to a person, can manipulate for ourselves. You know, we're wearing the heavy sweaters in the house, and it's, you know, it's it's outside, it's zero degrees Celsius and thirty-two degrees Fahrenheit here in Boston today, and mm -hmm. that's reasonably good for this season. Mm -hmm. um, so, industry to me, yeah, the producers, but don't forget the users. Yeah, that's we could true. all Actually. contribute. We could all contribute to the energy industry by reducing how much we use that's true without, yeah. without suffering too much you're not going to take away air conditioning from in in the case of the united states you're not going to take it from the southern parts of the state you're not going to take it away from hospitals and and people the older people who need the air conditioning and but there's so much you could do with energy conservation as a starting place yeah that's true on, on the other hand i guess what a lot of people forget is that what uh, we have as energy consumption per capita in the so-called first world is actually what we want, but that's not even like 20% of the population. If we actually have the whole South America, Africa, mm -hmm. South Asia, if they have the same energy consumption as let's say, let's say someone were warm, like Spain, something like that, we actually want that because there is a, a pretty good correlation between energy consumption per capita and quality of life because you have access sure, to refrigeration, sure. you have access sure. to transportation, etc. So it's absolutely of course there is a lot that we need to conserve, but there's and a there's, lot of energy that we still need to generate. Absolutely. And there's no there's no um, reason for not achieving that quality of life. Uh, the only issue I think is when it's wasteful. If it's if you end up as a person really not paying attention to how you're using it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's when it gets off the rails. I think that's when it gets wasted. And, and frankly, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about in the United States, um, we've got a new energy, I don't want to call him an energy czar. John Kerry, I think has been appointed somewhat unofficially to be our environmental spokesman. And yet, and I understand as a, as a politi politician and someone who's going to have to go to meetings that he has to use aircraft to go from one point to another. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But you don't have to have your own personal jet to do it. <laughs> you can go on a commercial airline. I mean, they are, particularly these days, they're in need of some big help. That's um, true. So when I say you're abusing, in a sense, the energy, think about it on a personal level. There are some, some parts that you can always say, let me walk to the store. Let me fly commercially instead of taking my own personal jet. Like, some politicians yeah. would, would yeah you're so right the, i guess the problem is when is it's not hard for you i always thought about that like back in brazil where i am from in the south 
there is just like 80% of the energy generated in Brazil is hydroelectric. So in theory, Brazil is a pretty renewable reliant yeah, country, but also drinkable water. We have a lot of drinkable water and it's easy. We don't need to process a lot, don't need to desalinization, everything. And therefore the, the water back in Brazil is really cheap proportionally, you know? But then when I was still in university, I got a scholarship and I went to, to Australia, to the west side of Australia which is basically just like California, like one city and everything else is a desert. And there, they're super concerned. Like the, the lady that I was living with, she would save uh, the plates and only wash the plates like once a week yeah, just yeah, to see. save water. And that was like so different for me. I was just like, like back yeah. home, we, I, don't, I don't even think about it. I don't yeah. care. It's, yeah. just, it's not like I was doing on purpose. It's just that it was not a, never an issue. And I guess that happens with a... A lot of things we just don't notice yeah. they because yeah. they're not scarce to you you don't realize they're hard to the rest of the world yeah understood understood uh it, it's it's a matter of um perspective it's a matter of what your experiences are yeah, so like i said it comes down to the, the the persons in australia or any one of these other countries i mean i my my um ancestors come from um, italy and um when i visited them as a much younger man right out of graduate school. Um, there were times when water was scarce enough that they would stop water flow to the town from certain hours, you know, two or three hours. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we're now in the 20, uh, 2021 and they don't do that anymore. But conservation is, is important and they, they recognize it, you know. Yeah. And I think most people would be able to do it without giving up a whole lot of things, without giving up too much comfort. Um, they should be able to do it. I mean, obviously, if, if you've lived with someone in, in the case of Australia, and in my case, with grandparents who lived in Italy, they survived. God bless them. They were in their 80s when they passed away. They didn't yeah. pass away. That's absolutely right. As, as young, you know, as, uh, prematurely because of any deprivation. And at the same time, in Italy, they went through the whole World War II thing. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, they survived and you can do it. Yeah, but, yeah. Like I said, it, it, so when you talk about energy industry, users and the producers. Mm -hmm. In either okay. case, in either case, there's there's things good and bad. I can you can waste the energy as a user, and at the same time as a producer, you could be polluting and I don't know overthrowing governments to get oil fields. I guess that's happened. You, <laughs> it doesn't happen now, but uh, you know you get really crazy things. But um, um, you got to say, I think you got to say that. Um, like I said, when you talk about cups of coffee and what you drink and don't complain about, and then you're in Boston, the price of gasoline is a dollar is two dollars and twenty-five cents per mm -hmm. gallon, not per liter. You know, that's what's it in England? It's about three, four times that, right? Yeah, it is about that. I don't know, I don't have a car here. So yeah, I'm already right. starting to be more sustainable here. Well, that's <laughs> the point. And and when I go into Boston now, I, I try to when I was going when I'm going to school, I try to use the um, car. Obviously, I have to take the car from where I am, but uh, very often um, the train and the bus. It's, mm -hmm. it's more convenient. Yeah, absolutely. Well, going to something more recent, there really I was really craving to to listen to your opinions on this of what happened in Texas. You know, Texas there is, I mean, yeah. there's a lot going on, but so for those you know, who might be listening that don't know exactly. And clearly, this discussion is all you know. These are my these are my opinions. 
as an engineering person, and I, I'm teaching now at one of the universities here in Boston, and I try to keep, and these are younger students, these are sophomores. So they've mm -hmm. gone through a freshman year, they're now into the senior, their sophomore year. So I try to remind them of what's going on in an energy, mm -hmm. in, in an engineering way. So mm -hmm. I talk to them about the Mars landing and show, you know, go to the websites, see the landing. And I talk about the other day where this engine flew apart and talk about engineering. And mm -hmm. Texas is another one. And, and I don't know if we've heard the whole story yet. And oh, yeah. I've, I've seen both. I've heard both sides of the coin about renewable energy and the people who are the oil people, obviously Texas is an oil state in the United States. Mm -hmm. The oil people are saying that it's the it's natural, it's renewable energy that caused it because the oil companies or the state or the governments in the state were forced to do wind turbines and solar panels and then they got frozen up. And I don't know, I understand, I understand that 20 to 25% of Texas's electrical power grid is from renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And I think by renewable energy, they mean primarily wind turbines and maybe photovoltaic. I don't think they have much hydro, mm -hmm. they have much at all. I don't know of any big dams in Texas. Obviously there's the Hoover Dam in, in the, uh, Colorado and all, but anyway, so 25% so to me doesn't sound like that's the missing, that it's going to cause that big of an issue. Yeah. So there's something else going on. Now, the other thing that could be going on is that um, transportation was just stopped. I mean, even in Texas, where they don't get snow much, and when they get some, it's not it's not many, many feet, inches. It's certainly not feet. It's like in Washington, when they get snow, it stops everything. Now, mm -hmm. Texas... Um, and when you stop anything in Washington, D.C., okay, you stop the politicians from going to, into the Capitol, and that's good or bad, as you might want to look at. But <laughs> in Texas, maybe what stopped in the transport of things on the road were oil deliveries, maybe. Yeah. And maybe there were other things that got stopped. And so, as I understood it, some of the power facilities uh, we're working with coal and some of them are still doing oil. I, that's kind of hard for me to believe, but I thought by now most big utilities would be powered by gas, natural gas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't see why that would have been curtailed because it's all delivered by pipeline. Yeah, I was about to say that. And the pipeline, I mean, for it. And I haven't, heard anything, about a pipe, I haven't heard anything about a pipeline being stopped now. It's yeah, possible. I mean, it's possible to, even because. To, even to liquefy the gas that you 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 would need to be so cold that's just impossible yeah no so. no I, I, it's possible that when you're talking about pipeline and you know the pipeline requires these pipeline compressor stations you need to mm -hmm. pump this this compressed gas around because the friction in the pipes um lowers the pressure and you have to keep pumping along um now it's possible those those machines are running on natural gas and you would say okay then you have the natural gas or the diesel they keep running, they keep pumping. Now, if one goes down and then it dominoes, maybe there's an issue there that has to be looked into. So I guess mm -hmm. the bottom line for me is, I don't know if I've heard the last story because I don't think there was enough renewable energy online. Personally, I don't think there was enough online to make this big a problem Yeah. Um, with power outage all over the state. I also heard um, that Texas, unlike 
the other states, okay? Um, Texas is almost about, almost a, a pool of electric power of its, unto itself. And in a very weird way, it can isolate itself from the other utilities all over the country. The, the electric utility, Diago, when I studied it, it amazed me because it is like the largest um, energy system in the sense of um, having a having tentacles that goes everywhere. So if you wanted to generate power in Boston, in New England, in a sense, you could provide some power to parts of California. I mean, because all these networks of power utilities are all tied together. I guess Texas is one of those where, they, yeah, they're tied together, but they could disconnect themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they disconnect themselves, maybe that was what they were doing. And, and then everything starts to close down because the power generators, if they see uh, too much power on their line, then they start there by, by design are intended to come offline because otherwise they start feeding into something and, and they can't generate as much power as mm -hmm. So I don't think we've heard the last story. Yeah. I hope we have because uh, it would be scary that a, at a state like Texas with all of the resources they have available in the oil fields and the gas fields that there was this kind of a problem. And it was a significant problem. I mean, I yeah. had students certainly who at the very least were inconvenienced so they couldn't listen to me. Oh, well, maybe that's not an inconvenience. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, they, <laughs> but they at least used that as a reason why they couldn't zoom in on the meetings. And, uh -huh. and we excused home lessons, delay, you know, we had them a lot, delayed things. But there were people who were in hospitals. Yeah, and there were people on life support systems in their homes, in, in home, you know, and they lose power and it's catastrophic. And it's, it's yeah. incredible to think of the loss and the suffering that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. But that's, but that's, that's what it really means. That's really what it means when we're talking about a civilization who needs the energy and who's accommodated themselves to make that energy convenient. Yeah. I mean, I was talking about my grandparents. I mean, talking about water being shot, a stop during the week, during the day, they would also routinely have brownouts. They would just lose power. Mm -hmm. you, you can't do that in the United States. At least you couldn't do it in the United States without expecting, without the owner of the company expecting phone calls. Now yeah. it's getting to be more routine, brownouts. Mm -hmm. And I guess some people would attribute that to um, environmental pollution. Uh, you know, these changing the climate and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how far you go with that. Yeah, but, but in line to what you said before, in like in terms of being more conscient about how you use the energy, maybe not have your own jet, but use commercial jets, etc. Isn't it that part of the of the solution as well? We have to kind of plan, and maybe that means every neighborhood they you know. Maybe you're never going to use it, but every neighborhood should have their own diesel generators because if yeah. everything goes down, at least the you know the very basic could keep running. I, th I think you you hit on something. I'm glad you did because that's part of the story. I'm not sure if you'll ever hear the planning. Mm -hmm. Government, someone has to be planning. Now, admittedly, some of the utilities, and I, again, I don't have any affiliation whatsoever, good, bad, or ugly, with utilities. Mm -hmm. It's my mm -hmm. personal. Opinion. The planning is essential, but also coming with that planning, if you're the CEO of a utility, you're thinking about the, the stockholders and the stockholders oh, yeah. 
need to get dividends and you minimize the cost of delivering the product. It's not just utility, but anybody does that. But in the case of delivering electrical power products means maybe you don't have as many transformers in the yard ready to replace the ones that have just been burned out. Or you don't have as many towers that you can quickly get to. Or you don't have as many emergency generator sets that can be sent to a hospital and generate two, three, four megawatts of power. Mm. You don't do that because it costs money to have that hardware on the ground, not operating. So planning, I think, means associated with you know planning in the future means also paying for some of that in the future. And then it comes out to the prices that you charge for electric prices. And no one wants to pay more than dollars per kilowatt hour. You know? Yeah. But it, the planning is something I think is going to come out of this, that somebody missed something. Yeah. And it can't be just one company missing something because this has a number of utilities in Texas. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I think yeah. we're, I think we're getting uh, the Texas citizens are back online. I think they're, they're now recovering. There's a lot of plumbing needs, I guess, in Texas at this point. A lot yeah. of, um, a lot of um, the, um, Plumbers are coming literally from all over the country, as I understand it, going down there. Yeah, because all because, the pipes burst? Because of the, yeah, because of the burst lines. I mean, it's as simple as, as water pipes breaking that causes a house not to come back online again. Yeah, yeah. And, and it has to be fixed. And you got so many plumbers in the state of Texas and you get need more of them. Hmm. I think it's equivalent to when you see hurricanes come through the south. And, and sometimes northeast, and trees come down, electric power goes out, and you have workers coming from all over different states. They'll come into uh -huh. New England. They do this on a regular basis because we have some severe storms here. And um, those storms usually have the effect of dropping tree limbs on power lines, which means that communities go out. And so you'll see work teams come in from, crews come in from California. <laughs> happy to do it because they've got employment, they've got time to, to, to do this stuff. And they're happy to help out. And then when states like Texas needs the help, you got electricians and, and electrical people coming down. Now it's mm -hmm. going to be the plumbers. It's going to be plumbers going to Texas for a while, <laughs> going into motels, I think, and fixing these things because they need it. You can't be without yeah. a house that doesn't have uh, facilities, you know, yeah, that's true. facilities and all, and cooking for weeks and weeks and weeks. You can't do that, particularly yeah. now because you can't go to restaurants to get a mm -hmm. food. Yeah, food. you need to stay at home. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's up. definitely really, really tricky times. Really, really tricky. Yeah, it's it's interesting times. Yeah. What, what what you mentioned about the planning is true, and is also it's something that I always notice with engineering and planning in general is that if it works correctly, people don't actually realize the amount of work that went into it in order to be working. Like nowadays. Pretty much everybody take it for granted that you just open the tap and there is water there yeah. without yeah. realizing so many steps does it take to actually pump it to just be there conveniently for you all the time and, and and you know one of the reasons that's true is is because in the united states in europe you know where there is um uh, a lot of engineering a lot of education um it's true that people don't realize it because the engineering has been done so well that there aren't, or there used not to be blackouts and brownouts. There, there used mm -hmm. to be 
everything seems to be working. And you don't know and you don't feel the problem until it stops working. And then you mm -hmm. realize, wait a minute, something, something is missing. You realize there wasn't somebody planning this. And otherwise, unless something happens, you don't know that there's a problem. Until yeah. Something happens. Yeah. There, there was, when I was still back in college, there is kind of like two hours away. In my state, still there is one of the last coal mines in Brazil and it's still in operation basically subdesigned because there is a city that basically relies on the coal mining so you know if they stop doing coal like you have the second problem that's the social problem but anyway i went there and it was good that i went there i think it was in the, my second year of engineering and then one of the engineers who was responsible for that shift was talking and then only then i realized that someone is always there in order like all oh, the whole region of basically come the electricity would be coming from there and basically came to the realization in order for me to have electricity right now there is someone in that room that i work yeah. always taking care of that turbine always yeah. always yeah. and it was like, this is amazing actually every time you go anywhere and now I, I cannot stop thinking of that and i always you know when i turn it on the line it's like huh, i wonder where this is coming from yeah. who is taking care of the turbine here you know, I, I think that's a good point. I think we all need to be a little bit more aware of some of the things that people do to help us do what we do. I mean, I'm yeah. always appreciative of farming, of farmers, and uh, I, and teachers certainly not because I am one now, but also because I grew up and we all went to school. But farming to me uh, is like essential. I mean, listen, if you had a, if if you were going to um, need to pick a crew to inhabit an island the first person i think i would hire was the farmer yeah I, say, I gotta know that tomorrow i'm gonna eat tomorrow you know and the next person would be probably well i like to think an engineer and i don't mean an educated multiple degree engineer i'm talking about someone who has okay, some engineering stuff. background has some technical knowledge intuitively or by experience by experience yeah. by experience you'd bring those people yeah um, absolutely who's the last person you'd bring i think i would probably not to get people too political <laughs> but i don't think i'm going to get any congressman or senator yeah absolutely for a bit for a little while <laughs> now they could also say that well someone's going to make the rules uh, i understand someone's going to make yeah. the rules. Well, it's funny you said that because so I, I think so. I think I get a farmer who is also a good manager, and I think that almost is uh, that that almost goes together. I can't yeah, imagine a farmer who's not a good business person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was actually coincidentally just yesterday. I was. I, I think I never realized how much Alexander the Great was as a person. Of course, I was in history. I learned about you know the huge empire, but I was listening for some stuff that. Is written about him that he has been like a a soldier his whole life. He was, and that's why people love him so much. Like he was still one of the big emperors. But some nights it was like, no, tonight is my shift. You go to sleep. I'm gonna, and yeah. that's why people respected him because he never he never tell, told anyone to do something that he would not do himself. Yeah, true. Those always are the better leaders. Yeah, Those exactly. Always. It's but not like again, I, I am above this, never. But then again, you got to be careful, Thiago, because he died, I think, when he was only 32 or 34. 32, or apparently, yeah. Yeah. 
the greatest story for that that I use in a lot of examples when I'm doing my engineering stuff with the students. Um, and and again, I I come from I like to come I think I come from more practical experience versus the more um, academic. There's nothing wrong with the academic, but you got to merge the two experiences. And so sometimes I see the students, you know, finessing with the solution. And, and I say, you know, let's do it. You haven't got enough time to do this. You got to get to the essence, even an approximation of an answer. You got to do what Mr. Alexander the Great did. He had this big knot, you know, he had this big knot. And someone says, why don't you take some time to cut this knot? And he says, I ain't got the time to do that. And he just cut the knot, the Gordian knot. <laughs> and that's the way you unravel it. Just get to it from experience, you know. Anyway. Yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah, well, we took a detour there. But yeah. talking about politicians, that's one of the big questions I, I sent to you beforehand. I was curious. You know, I, we, I, a, I think I have a great answer for you. you know, okay, there we go. So, so, so people, so people know what I'm talking about. The question that I sent to Frank is, if someone high in government were listening to us right now, what would you say that is like key, really, really important that we focus? And what if it is absolutely a waste of time slash a waste of focus at the moment? <clears throat> and the way I would respond to that, I'm glad you had that question is the same way I responded to a similar question many, many years ago at the company we worked for, and even before then. And that is, I would love, and, and seriously, I'm going to make the suggestion to the head of the department at the university I'm teaching. Um, I would love to have a webinar, a series of webinars, where a politician either sends themselves and sits down for an hour or two, or sends an assistant and we outline all of the renewable energy engineering. We, we discuss renewable energy engineering, not the 10th level down below the surface. I'm talking about basics, very basic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, and, and when, if, the, if we could do that, and if it was successful, then they could answer their own question. What is a waste of time? You know, what is the waste of their time? What is the waste of the government's money? What is the waste of um, uh, hot air, for that matter, in talking about things? Because right now, I'm afraid, unfortunately, the, the politics is everywhere. And sometimes to get elected, he or she running for office is going to say something that is really silly and is known to be only silly by persons who are in the engineering field. And the, and the citizenry believe them because good-heartedly, they'd like to believe there's a solution to this energy and the climate crisis. But when you have a politician who says, as an example in Boston, that they are gung-ho for renewable energy, they're gonna put a wind turbine up at City Hall <laughs> that is going to be able to power not the entire city, because no one believe that, but all of City Hall. And I'm, I'm thinking, that that wind turbine would have to be hundreds of feet tall to yeah. develop two, three, four megawatts of power, because <laughs> everything in the city hall is is run by electrical now. Mm -hmm. it's not reasonable, and it's not, and it's silly to even think to run on a platform like that because people are going to believe it because they're not trained. And then you get elected, and sure enough, what happens? You get elected, and then as a show of good faith, they put one of these little spinning. <laughs> wheels up on the thing and it looks like it's 
and that's what you see in the science museums to demonstrate renewable yeah. energy with wind turbines. So if you can educate, I think some of the politicians, honestly, you don't put the politics in it. You show them what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly of renewable energy. And you say, uh, wind turbines have a have a place, photovoltaic has a place, hydrogen storage, you know, generate hydrogen from electric from water using electric power generated from the wind when then you can store it so that like in Texas when you need the power you can burn the hydrogen. Um, mm -hmm. But please understand the limits that the first law of thermodynamics has. Please understand the limits the second law has. You know, and, and let's go on from there because um, we have a, a problem and we try to solve it. And not understanding from a political point of view, from the politician's point of view, not understanding what the first law of thermodynamics is, 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 is not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's just not, it's just not right. So I'm, I'm serious. I'm thinking of talking to the head of the school that I, I teach at and say, look, I, I say that because one of the more um, outspoken politicians happens to have come from this university. Uh, good. And, and, and um, he, I'm not gonna say he, he or she, <laughs> I know who it is, but <laughs> he or she is um, so outspoken that if you can get her or he into a classroom and sit there, or if he or she could send an assistant to listen to this, maybe we have something. Yeah. Maybe we can start getting serious about this. That's absolutely like, right. There's one great thing about engineering, you know, is that I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, it doesn't matter, or whatever politicians are in England. Um, <laughs> you cannot violate the first law of thermodynamics. You can't violate the second law of thermodynamics. You are constrained to those laws. Thank goodness, yeah. because if the politicians had their way, they'd say, <laughs> second law is good on Mondays and Fridays, but not on Tuesdays, and you say, what? <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden, if that were the case, if the second law were violated, you'd have glasses of water that start to heat up by themselves, or <laughs> cool off by themselves. And, and, and what the heck? We can't run a country, country like this. No, but, but all seriousness, if we could have a, a good representation of senators, congressmen, or their aides, or their assistants, sit down and understand renewable energy, and understand that the ones they're talking to are not saying things negatively because they don't like you or they don't like your political stance, but are saying things negatively because what you're saying doesn't make sense. Yeah. It to a political situation. And I hear that mm -hmm. all the time, certainly in the United States. I don't know about other countries, but I got to believe it's the same. In most yeah, countries. I do absolutely agree with you, but I think unfortunately it works the other way around. Like politicians are always going to find a way to put something that the public thinks is good. You know what I mean? I know. It's, it's human nature. I understand. I understand. Yeah. So, okay, so the next thing uh, is educating the public. Yeah, I, I, guess. I know but, it's but hard. But, you know, in the United States, there's 100, there's 100 senators. That's a sizable group, but it's, it's mm -hmm. bite-sized. You can get 100 people in a room, in mm -hmm. a good size room. Maybe not now because of the COVID thing, but, but then there's 400 and... 53, I think, 453 congressmen, bigger group, but still manageable. But you, but you like to think, and maybe it's happening in the United States. They have STEM classes everywhere, mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, math, and 
which is a great thing because they're putting that in the classrooms, starting as I think as early as um, elementary school. And if they are honest, that is, if they give them a good background on renewable energy through those STEM programs, then maybe you get the populace. That yeah. they and they won't elect the politicians who are saying things that are nonsense. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. Knows? Hopefully that will. It's hopefully that will happen. I hopefully think you can keep. I know. I'm hoping you can keep this, the 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 polit political stuff out of the STEM educational thing. Yeah, because that's climate absolutely. control and climate change, and there's a lot of that. That there's a lot of stuff like that that um, can be debated, and yeah, and, um, we should probably leave it like that. But, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you. And, and that's 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 a, serious, that's a very good point. I'm serious about that, but let me just mention why I say that because um, I, I'm doing a little research on um, Leonardo da Vinci and, and Renaissance engineering and, and a few things like that. So I picked up a book, and uh, I can mention it to you. I don't know if we want to mention authors, but this person is talking about how the Renaissance started with the the um, the uh, this, by the Chinese explorers, by Chinese explorers back in the 1400s, really? okay? Hmm. And he made a great point because the Chinese explorers were incredibly good navigators. They got into their boats and they navigated all over the world. And mm -hmm. he claims, he claims that there's evidence from like weather, people keep the weather in Denmark that um, are reports from people during that time period that a a martyr of Chinese vessels went through the North Pole, okay, and landed in North America. They were trying to make a case that North America was discovered by the Chinese. Okay, mm -hmm. so so you say so you say, um, well, how the heck does a wooden boat go through the North Pole with all the ice and the floats and and they puts a he puts a little footnote in the bottom of the paragraph and he says footnote. There is an observation data from Denmark, so-and-so weather report saying that during the 1400s, there was three or four major periods during the century when they were warming such that the ice in the North Pole was melted. I says, wait a minute, is that possible? Is that possible, 1400s? I mean, where's the industrial revolution affecting climate control, you see? Yeah. They said, well, I don't know. Let's think about that. Let's find out a little bit more about this. But like I said, it was in the book. So the question yeah. is, is climate control just climate change during the earthly, you know, lifespan? I, I don't know. So yeah, that's a very that's a very good point. I, I am mindful of time. I know you you have other stuff to do, but I just want to note note that I agree with you. And I I it really bothers me when people think that by saying that it means I'm not like I don't want to oh, protect the environment. Like that's completely a different story. Just saying that maybe some stuff might be up to discussion because that's clear we don't fully understand the, the right. whole physics that's going on on Earth. And on, exactly. if, if it was me answering the question of what I personally think is a waste of time slash focus, I think it's something we should think, but the whole focus that is putting on being carbon neutral that you need to plant as many trees to kind of compensate for the CO2 that you're emitting. Like, yeah, I get it. It's a good idea. Try to do that if you can. But there is so many other pressing issues that I think that is just like a, a waste well, of time. I, exactly. I mean, uh, it's a certainly an important issue and, and it needs to be addressed. And I think people, companies, 
a lot of them being forced to do it by the EPA and the government. And, and some of those restrictions have made it so that the air that we breathe in the United States and in England and other parts of Europe and Asia, are, are some parts of Asia, uh, are clean because of the restrictions. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's like a pendulum, I think. Sometimes it just swings too far. And, yeah. and sometimes the regulatory agencies in the United States will go after a manufacturer for such things as uh, importing wood that is going to be used in guitars. And I, this is a true story that um, came from some forest that was controlled. You couldn't get the wood from that red wood mm-hmm. forest. And now that person's companies have closed down because they violated this, this import rule. This goes back to years ago. But so you have regulations that are incredibly good and important, in my opinion. But there are others that need to be come back a little bit. And now you have the, sweet, the pendulum swings the other way. So you got to be very careful. You got to be very careful about things like this. So That's a very good um, point. The, the interesting thing, you know, from the point of view of what's going on throughout the world in the last year is that, you know, I. I was starting to be retired, so I was home anyway, but I was still driving to school until everything shut down. And I know my friends uh, at the company we were working at were starting to work at home, and a lot of people were. So as a result of that, the emissions from cars went down very, very far. And Mm -hmm. I think over the year, I think the number I heard quoted was like 10, 15%, I don't think it was 20%, but about 10 to 12 to 15% reduction in CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. So the question to me comes immediately is that comes immediately is then do we see the effect of that reduction in CO2 immediately through climate change or is it does it need to wait a year or two before you see the effect because a 15% reduction is significant it is it really world. is yeah it's a significant result never not even counting the the, the, the companies that are, some of them gone out of business and, and uh, certainly the downturn and some of the manufacturing and all, that all has ramifications for everyone from a mm-hmm. life-sustaining and, and point of view. But from a point of view of less emissions, what's been learned from that? At the very least, what can be learned from that? And uh, yeah. I know this year, I think we had as strong a hurricane season as we've seen. Now, maybe mm-hmm. you could say, Frank, uh, you shouldn't be able to see the climate change be that instantaneous with the changes in the reduction in CO2 emissions. Maybe it mm-hmm. takes a while. And yeah, there's a there's a latency. There's a there's a phase change. They, they say in engineering, there's a phase between mm-hmm. the time you input a, a force and the result from that force. There's a mm-hmm. phase change. Uh, so maybe we haven't seen the phase change yet. That's true. Yeah, and that's exactly the point for what I'm saying. I think. Yeah, we can focus on CO2 capturing and blah, blah, but maybe, just maybe, if we had something as basic like all the pumps in the world need to have a standard, because I guess something like 50% of electricity in the world is just to drive pumps, to have water for industry and people. If you just have more efficient pumps all over the world, the emissions would go so down, and that's like a byproduct. Yeah, that's an interesting, I didn't realize that statistic, that's an interesting statistic. I, maybe I like I'm maybe I'm making something up a little bit, but well, it's me, in the ballpark. Let me, let me let me give you even a stronger one, which I think makes sense. You know, with this COVID thing, with people staying home, <clears throat> I don't think a lot of people are going back to the routine of going to an office, driving in traffic, mm-hmm. like they used to. Uh, 
but let us say if you're driving five days a week let's say you stop one of those five days so you have 20 percent change mm -hmm. so throughout the country you know regardless of what you do then some people can't not go to work driving to work but a lot of people can if you stay one day a week at home i think it's going to be much more than that now but one day a week 20 percent so you translates into five eight percent reduction in co2 emissions from automobiles mm -hmm. that should make a change and if there's anything that we've proven with what we what we've had to do through the year now uh things like zoom and go to meetings you can still work quite a bit yeah i i think there's an issue with one-on-one -on -one communication where i don't think i like to see people stay home entirely and not communicate with their associates I did mm -hmm. a thing in the paper today talking about it. But I think it'd be interesting to see what happens if people stay home once a week. And that could be a simple or a simpler way of reducing emissions. Yeah. That's it's absolutely right. That's absolutely it's interesting right. to see yeah. what the results are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Frank, I am mindful of time. I know you have much more to do. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. As oh. always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, yeah. My pleasure also, and uh, we should do this again. Mm -hmm.